Statins are the second most prescribed drug in America. Is it justified in most cases or not so justified? Is it relatively harmless as many doctors may tell you? Or are there more side effects than you may have been led to believe? Buckle on up as a cardiologist weighs in with her book on statins. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast, where we interview remarkable world-class experts that help bring out the greatness within you. Top book authors, super successful business people, and outstanding special guests that will motivate and inspire you with their incredible, uplifting stories and life-changing tips and strategies. Our goal is your success. If you desire more out of life, you've dialed into the right show. So fasten your seatbelts, friends, and let's get ready for some high-octane motivation. Now, your host, the mayor of motivation, Eli Marcus. The views of this podcast episode are solely those of the guest. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical question. Our guest today is a cardiologist and former director of the Women's Cardiac Center at the Miriam Hospital in Providence, Rhode Island. She is the author of the fascinating book, The Truth About Statins, Risks and Alternatives to Cholesterol-Lowering Drugs. Now, this is a fascinating topic for me because it takes a lot of guts to talk about statins in this world. And so we want to welcome to The Motivation Show, Dr. Barbara Roberts. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Eli. I have been interested in cholesterol for many, many years now. In fact, when I was a very young doctor, I spent two years at the National Institutes of Health, and I was involved in something called the, research, the lipid research clinics. And we actually did the first intervention trial in high-risk men who had high levels of cholesterol and treated them with an old medication called cholestyramine and showed for the first time that you could lower the incidence of cardiac events by lowering cholesterol. It was a very small amount that that risk was decreased by, but it was a first. And then of course I went on and I did my cardiology fellowship and I became very interested in preventing heart disease. And so I continued sort of looking into cholesterol and what was going on with cholesterol. And when statins were first approved in the United States in 1986, I was um, pleased because I had been taught for many years that high levels of cholesterol, particularly high levels of the so-called bad cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol, was a risk factor for developing cardiovascular disease. Yeah, and certainly when you go to the doctor, it seems that cholesterol on your entire blood report seems to be the thing that the doctor always seems to go to first for some reason, at least that's the ones that I've been to. And there seems to be so much controversy about what's uh, a proper level. And as in your book, you indicate that the body you know, needs cholesterol. It's a vital part of every cell in our bodies and is essential for the normal functioning of muscles, nerve cells, and the brain. So no wonder why so many of us are confused about <laughs> Right. cholesterol. <laughs> well, it turns out yeah. that cholesterol is not the villain, okay? 
Cholesterol, as you mentioned, is an integral part of the cell membrane, which surrounds every cell in our body. It makes up a large proportion of the brain. It's required for the formation of various hormones, including our reproductive hormones. It's required for the synthesis of vitamin D. So we could not exist without cholesterol. And it turns out that the reason, the main reason that doctors became so fixated on cholesterol, especially after statins came out, is because you could affect cholesterol. But it turns out that even the so-called bad cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, is a very weak risk factor for the, developing, the development of cardiovascular disease. There are far stronger risk factors, including smoking and high blood pressure and diabetes, but there is not the same ability to treat these and it's certainly not as profitable for the big pharma uh, companies to treat these than it is to treat cholesterol. Now, if you already have cardiovascular disease, let's say you have coronary artery disease and you've got plaque in those arteries, then is a statin more important? And then is it lower significantly the risk of a heart incident? So let's back up a little bit and I want to talk about something called a randomized controlled trial. We have in the scientific literature many randomized controlled trials of statins versus placebo in people who either have high risk of cardiovascular disease, although they haven't had an event yet, or who already have established cardiovascular disease. And tens of thousands of people have been enrolled in these studies. And what you do is you, if, for example, if you're doing a primary prevention trial, you gather a population of people who are at high risk of the disease, but who haven't had a vascular event. And you randomize half of them to a placebo and half of them to the active drug, in this case, statins. And then you follow them prospectively for what are called endpoints. And you can divide endpoints into hard endpoints and soft endpoints. The hardest endpoint is death. Okay, doctors are pretty That's a hard at, one. Now, doctors are pretty good at diagnosing death. We yeah. don't often get death wrong. And another hard endpoint is the occurrence of a heart attack or what physicians call a myocardial infarction. Because to diagnose a myocardial infarction, you have to have uh, certain symptoms, you have to have EKG changes, and you have to have abnormal blood tests. So mortality and non-fatal heart attacks are the hardest endpoints. And then there are other what we call softer endpoints, such as the need for revascularization. But the need for revascularization is a very subjective decision. It's not an endpoint, it's a decision that's made by your physician based on symptoms you are having. Whether or not those symptoms are cardiac, though, is often unknown ahead of time. And a lot of these clinical trials were done in multiple studies. For example, one of the largest, the Jupiter trial, was done in studies as different as the United States and Bulgaria. And I don't know this for a fact, but I suspect that you're much more apt to get a revascularization procedure if you live in the US than you do in Bulgaria. But anyway, so if you look at just the hard endpoints and you lump a lot of these second uh, primary prevention trials together, you only lower risk in men by about 1%. Wow. You don't lower risk in women at all. 
If you look at secondary prevention studies of statins versus placebo, in other words, you gather a population of people who already had a cardiac event and you follow them prospectively. And usually some, some of these studies were of very brief duration. Many of them were stopped prematurely for so-called benefit. But if you look at five of the biggest secondary prevention trials, if you took a statin, your risk was lowered by about 6% over five years compared to if you took the placebo. In women, you lowered your risk by less than 3% for secondary prevention trials. So we know for a fact that the vast majority of people do not benefit in these trials. They do not benefit from statins. There's something called the number needed to treat. And the number needed to treat, say you lower risk by 1%, the number needed to treat is one divided by the absolute risk reduction. And if the absolute risk reduction was 1%, you would have to treat 100 people for five years to prevent one heart attack. Meanwhile, everybody's exposed to the risks. Can I ask you a question, doctor? A sure. Interesting question. So I'm going to use an acronym, CYA, cover your posterior. Yep. Do you think that the average doctor, even knowing maybe that there's a 3% or whatever, 1% chance, still is going to prescribe that because it's better to CYA over the 3% and not take any chances? Right. versus somebody so they have some muscle aches or some issues 20 years later that can't be necessarily you know, traced back to the prescription. Right. The problem nowadays is that doctors are encouraged to treat to the guidelines. And the, the guidelines come out every few years, and they are written by panels of physicians who are so-called experts in their field. The problem with these guideline writing committees is that more than half of them have ties to big pharmaceutical companies. And we know for a fact that if a clinical trial is sponsored by a pharmaceutical company, it's almost four times more likely to report a positive result than one that is uh, sponsored, for example, by a government. There is a lot of inherent bias. There's ways you can game the system. Some of these trials, uh, when they're not going the way the uh, study investigators like will add new endpoints to try and make the data look better. So there is pressure on physicians to treat to the guidelines, even though the guidelines, in my opinion, are very suspect. You know, as a layperson, whether I'm going to a cardiologist who was trained at Harvard or Yale, or for that matter, could be trained at any university, it's still their cardiologist, it's still they've gone through uh, incredible training, and they still they have that intimidating white jacket on, and you're going there for a reason. And if they say to you, uh, you need to be on a statin, it's nearly impossible to really try to overrule the doctor, because that's the whole point that you're going there. What do you know? And for that matter, if you go to three cardiologists, I got a feeling you're likely to be told the same thing by all three. So when do you just give in and when do you decide maybe I can overrule all three of them, which is it's a hard thing for a patient to do. Well, I think you have to inform yourself. I think you have to be an informed patient and remember that you are the final arbiter of what goes in your body. Okay. And if you have a side effect to any medication, 
it's incumbent upon you to stop that medication. Statins do not prolong life. And statins over the long haul cause damage to every cell in our body because they interfere with the production of uh, the function rather of mitochondria, which are little organs in the cell that are like energy factories. And the list of satin, statin side effects is as long as my arm and more are becoming apparent all the time. We've known for a long time that statins call, cause muscle pain and muscle injury. In fact, that's how I got very interested in statin side effects because my husband was put on statins by his primary care doctor. And he almost immediately developed such severe muscle pain that he couldn't exercise and he loves to exercise. So the doctor would check the blood work and he'd say, no, your muscle enzymes are fine, it's not the statins, but Joe would go off the statin. And then he would try another statin. And, and every time Joe was put on a statin, he developed severe muscle pain and every time he went off, it went away. This is going back to 1995. So he never took statins for very long and he hasn't taken them at all since probably 1998. Does he have risk factors that would warrant? Uh, well, his cholesterol at the time was 300. Mm. But that's more than 20 years ago, and he still hasn't heart, had a heart attack or any evidence of any cardiac disease. Does he have other risk factors besides that? Or well, is that the man, primary reason? He, he's yeah. a man, and, yeah. and men have a higher risk than women, right. uh, at least to a certain age. Um, but no, his blood pressure is good. He doesn't have a family history of premature heart disease. So his, his main risk factor was the cholesterol. Right now, I've been told by a couple of doctors that not necessarily for the reason to lower the cholesterol, but for the ability of the statin to, I guess, prevent plaque uh, rupturing in the arteries, which is the, apparently the thing that uh, people have to concern themselves about if they have coronary artery disease. That's the main reason to take the statin. You can stabilize plaque without taking a statin. Plaque rupture occurs in statins that have a lot of inflammation. And there are many things that lead to inflammation, including things like smoking, high blood pressure, diabetes or prediabetes, and eating a junk food diet. The most common blood fat abnormality in people who have vascular disease in America is not high levels of LDL cholesterol, it's low levels of the good cholesterol and high levels of another blood fat called triglycerides. And how do you raise triglycerides? By eating sweets, and starchy carbohydrates, eating processed foods. You know, it's sad, doctor, because when I go to the supermarket, I'm trying to be as educated as I can, but it gets very frustrating because there are some yummies on the aisles and they put them right on the aisle, you know, purposely, right. uh, and you want to grab it. And it seems like a relatively good food. Then you look at the packaging and you see there's, you know, they say if there's more than six different uh, ingredients, you're probably in trouble. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm going to be having yeah. processed food. You know, what yeah. the most common processed food is yeah. bread. Yeah, exactly. White bread, you may as well mainline glucose. <laughs> and everybody eats bread pretty yeah, much. It's, it's the first it's, thing you get in a restaurant. Yeah. You, you, so you want to avoid sweets. You want to avoid processed foods, including starchy carbohydrates. And actually, the best way to raise your good cholesterol, the HDL cholesterol, is fats. 
And actually nothing raises HDL cholesterol better than saturated fats. Saturated fats have been unfairly maligned. For example, dairy fat is very good for you. Skim milk is the worst milk you can drink because it has the most sugar. Heavy cream has basically no sugar. So most of the dietary advice that we've been given, at least since the 1970s, has been wrong and it's been responsible for the epidemic of overweight and obesity that we're seeing in this country and around the world. Yeah, and, and that adds to the confusion because people with coronary issues have been told the worst thing they can possibly have is saturated fat versus, the, uh, see, that's very interesting. But uh, the average person, you know, can go and feast on coconut and, and avocado and, and nuts, all these high fat items. But uh, people with coronary artery disease have been told that is the worst thing you can put in your body. Why is it not? It's not because, as I said, number one, LDL cholesterol is a very, very weak risk factor. In men, it's not a risk factor at all in women. I was involved in a study when I was at the NIH where we followed over 2,400 men and over 2,000 women prospectively for 19 years. And everybody got a measure of total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, and non-HDL cholesterol. And in women, even at LDL levels of over 190, there was no increase in the risk of cardiovascular death. Right. Now, the saturated fat, isn't that supposedly, now I'm a layperson, doesn't that, in my mind, it tells me maybe that's going to clog the artery. No, it doesn't no. do that. Because no. doc, I think Dr. Codwell Esselstyn, who's very well known, and he's been in Forks Over Knives, he specifically says for that he has helped reverse heart disease by taking his patients off saturated fat. Now, perhaps there are other factors that led to the, his good right. results, yeah. but... It's, uh, you know, when saturated fat raises LDL levels, it raises the level of what we call the light, fluffy LDL. And light, fluffy LDL does not promote atherosclerosis. It's the small, dense LDL that promotes atherosclerosis. And you get small, dense LDL when you have high triglycerides and low HDL. But again, cholesterol isn't the whole study. Ansel Keys in the seven country study showed that at the same level of serum cholesterol, the incidence of cardiovascular disease was four times greater in the United States than it is in Italy. At the same level of cholesterol, quadruple the mortality from cardiovascular disease in the US compared to Italy. So it's not all about the cholesterol. Eating cholesterol doesn't raise your cholesterol unless you're a rabbit. If yeah, that, rabbit I, that I heard, yes. Right. Your, your cholesterol will go up. Yeah. But eating cholesterol, I mean, for years, people were told to, told to avoid egg yolks. That was so wrong. Egg yolks is where all the nutrition is. Yeah, I heard that. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So you have to look at everything with a jaundiced eye. I just told a friend of mine, he's eaten up. Uh, egg white omelets. I said, why? He says, because I don't want to develop heart disease. I said, <laughs> I said you're, you're way years behind on the news research on that right. one. Right. Uh, so when is it justified or is it ever justified to be on a statin? Well, let me tell you something. My, my, my total cholesterol is 300. I would never take a statin. I have good levels of HDL cholesterol and very good levels of triglyceride. My mother's cholesterol was 300. She lived to 88, never took a statin, didn't die of heart disease. It may be indicated 
I mean, I would tell my patients, look, this is what the guidelines say. You should be on a statin. But I can tell you right now, if you take a statin every day for five years, you'll lower your risk by about five or six percent. So if somebody had coronary artery disease and they came to you and had a high calcium score, let's say 550, let's say, right? And they go to a cardiologist and the cardiologist says, oh my God, you, you're at high risk for an incident, which you probably makes sense. Does that warrant a statin? In my opinion, no, because statins actually increase the amount of calcification in the coronary. How does it do that? We're not sure. But oh. I'll tell you what, I never got a calcium score on any of my patients, and I'll tell you why. And you have to know something about the difference between relative risk and absolute risk. So if you, you know, treat 100 people and 2% of them on the placebo have an event and 1% on the statins have an event, you, your absolute risk reduction is 1%. Yeah, very little. But yeah. your rel relative risk reduction is 50%, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I have read extensively on the calcium artery score. I can never find the absolute risk. Nobody gives the absolute risk. They give the relative risk. Fascinating. Relative risk always looks greater than the absolute risk. Yeah, so there are people now touting red yeast rice and all these other magic Red yeast rice has oceans. a statin. Is a statin in itself, right? It has, a, it <laughs> has statin properties. To the yeah. statin in Mevacor, also called Lovastatin. And yeah. there have been episodes of the worst muscle disorder, rhabdomyolysis. Rhabdomyolysis has occurred in people who took red, red, red rice yeast. So you would advocate lifestyle change before Absolutely. you would put it. Yeah. Well, okay. I can definitely relate to that. We know, we know that you can lower your mortality more by adhering to a Mediterranean style diet than you can by taking steps. Now, what about the so-called healthy people, the people that are out there running the 5K races and they're always moving, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they just don't have any of these bad habits. They're, they're even vegan and yet they still have uh, so-called coronary artery disease because the doctor says, you know, your calcium scores are high. What about those people? Uh, there's not much else to change at that point. What, what else do you do? You know, I always tell my patients, we all have to die, right? The trick is to stay healthy till the second you go. And one of the ways you stay healthy is by regular exercise, by eating a healthy diet, which means eating real food, not manufactured food, by practicing relaxation techniques, mm -hmm. by not allowing yourself to become overweight, by avoiding secondhand smoke, doing all those things. And if you do that, you will be healthy and given your genetic makeup, you will live as long as you're programmed to live. Now, I'm gonna go on a limb here myself, and I'm gonna guess that if I went to 100 cardiologists and I showed them some risk factors, I'm gonna go on a limb and say at least 95 of them are gonna insist on a statin. Am I- That's the 5% who don't who are correct. <laughs> Well, you know, most doctors don't have the time to read the literature critically and to go over every word of the study. They look at the relative risk reduction. Oh my God, I'll lower my patient's risk by 30%. No, you won't. You might lower it by 1%. And why expose people 
to potentially fatal side effects when they can get more of a benefit by making lifestyle changes. Well, I'll have to tell you something, doctor. Um, what you're saying resonates with me. I'll tell you why. Because we've all been told one thing that we need to do, and most of us don't do it. And you hit the nail on the head. And that's relaxation and reducing stress. We all hear that, but we don't even realize when the stress is hitting us. You know, we go about our normal day to us getting up in the morning and rushing through our routine, rushing to get to work, you know, trying to make a sale, going through the aggravation of a of hundred things that go wrong during the day. We just see that as normal. You know, we don't even know how much uh, that's hurting our bodies. So you hit the magic words by saying that, because I think we all need to go inside ourselves we all need to probably meditate. Uh, we hear that all the time. We just we just don't do it. Right. Uh, but I, I think I that's think as I essential think, as any drug. Sure, it's absolutely essential. And the other thing that nobody talks about is air pollution. But if you mm. look at spikes in air pollution, they are followed immediately by spikes in the risk of heart attack and, and cardiac death. Oh, absolutely makes sense. Yeah everything we can to improve our environment. We live in a toxic environment. We're exposed to chemicals that we've never in the history of the evolution of the human race been exposed to before. Yeah. Things like these um, endocrine disruptors. There are so many things that are probably much more harmful to us than any level of cholesterol. And they can't be cured by taking a drug. You know, doctor, I um, live in this small little town called New York City. Yeah. <laughs> and my natal city, by the way, I yeah. was born in Greenwich Village. Oh, wow. And so yeah, in the good old days with Bob Dylan and Barbara Streisand, yeah. when they played in those little clubs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I noticed that on every corner, you have an ice cream truck or some other truck, right? And in order, or at least I've heard, in order for the the machines that make the ice cream to work, you got to have the truck idling, which I never understood. So these trucks stay idle on the corner for 10 hours. Now, you think about it, what's coming out of that exhaust? <laughs> Carbon monoxide. You can't see it, but, but you're bringing your kids up to the truck and you're standing online there for 10 minutes. They give them their ice cream cone, but you've just had a, a mouthful of uh, carbon monoxide, you know? So there's a lot of madness, right? There is. We we are we seem to be a race that's bent on our self-destruction. Yeah, that's a little bit sad because you know, like I said, look, thinking about what we have in the supermarket shelves as normal is anything but normal. Right. I mean, I can't go to a restaurant and not have excess salt, excess oil, excess sugar. They just even when I ask them sometimes, can you do this? No, we it's already pre-made. It's like, well, why do you have to put half a glass of oil in there. Can't yeah. you do a reasonable amount? Right. Well, if it's olive oil, that's okay. Yeah. Olive oil is probably the preeminent health food. It, it has, you know, it, it raises HDL. In fact, when I would see a patient with low levels of HDL in my practice, the first thing I would prescribe is three to four tablespoons of olive oil a day. Just take it like a medicine if you don't want to put it on, you know, everything that goes into your mouth. Now, isn't there a... Um challenge when people go beyond that because then now you're overdoing it and because people sometimes when people hear something is good like wine right that was the thing it has resveratrol in it so therefore now people started becoming uh alcoholics like yeah i'll just keep drinking wine it's healthy and that was their excuse right. can you get to that you know you know what i mean yeah well you know obviously you could 
I suppose theoretically you could, you could gain weight because you're taking in so many excess calories, but I think moderation in everything is a good rule to Great learn. word, moderation, absolutely. So you're not too impressed with the science that is used to justify treating people with statins, is that no, I fair? I think science is bogus. It's manipulated, manipulated, the data has been manipulated. We have a saying in medicine, if you torture the data, long enough, it'll confess to anything. <laughs> now, I have to tell you something. Big Farmer can't be too happy with you. No. What, what gave you the courage to come forth and state this? Well, I, you know, I left the church many years ago, but I was raised in a strict Catholic household where I was taught, I was really raised to be a saint and preferably a martyr. And I was taught that you had to do the right thing, even if you knew that you would take flack for it, even if you knew you'd be punished for it. And when I saw my patients being harmed by statins, I could no longer keep silent. Just before this book went to press, The Truth About Statins, one of uh, Simon & Schuster's lawyers called me and we had this seemingly endless telephone conversation where we went over every line in the book to make sure that Big Pharma couldn't say that I had libeled them. <laughs> but everything I said is backed up by the medical literature. So, you know, a lot of the trials uh, you say in your book are done with majority of men, and then it's assumed that you can apply the same results to women. But right. women, you know, may benefit a lot less than men from certain medications. Tell us your thoughts on that. Right, well, as I said, you know, primary prevention with statins will lower a man's risk about 1%. It doesn't lower a woman's risk at all. There has never been a primary prevention trial involving women, and there have been three or four. If you put all those results together, there is no evidence of a decrease in cardiac death, total mortality, heart attack or stroke in women and minimal effect in men. That's remarkable. Women are more likely to have side effects. Women are more likely to develop diabetes if they take a statin. Women are more likely to develop, to develop muscle damage if they take a statin. Women are more likely to have tendon rupture than men if they take a statin. That is absolutely amazing. So when the average layperson goes to the doctor, and they have a cholesterol result, you know, and it's 300, you're saying, in your opinion, that's not necessarily something that you're going to treat with a chemical, you're going to basically discuss all those lifestyle factors, right. and now not remember, be as concerned. Total cholesterol is made up of a contribution from triglycerides, it's made up of LDL cholesterol and HDL cholesterol. My HDL is over 100. It's actually 119. And that's part of the 300 total cholesterol I have. But I, I my poor primary care doctor, I'm, I'm, every now and then she wants to check my cholesterol. I say, Laura, <laughs> no matter what my cholesterol is, I'm not going to do You're not changing it. anything. Yeah. I need to have a DEXA scan for my bones. I say, Laura, <laughs> I'm, lifting, I'm doing aerobic exercise, no matter what the DEXA scan. Texas scan shows. I'm not going to go on one of those. Medicines. You know, I'd like to be a fly on the wall there, you know, to have a cardiologist sitting with her primary yeah. care physician, <laughs> especially someone who studied so much or as you have. You can just say, put in my record to your doctor, 
intolerant of statins or allergic to statins. And that gets them off the hook. That's that's amazing. I'm fascinated by this topic because statins, I think, are like the number one or number two prescribed drug. Number I think one. it number one. They're the most profitable drug in the history of big pharma. Yeah, you know, my feeling is this, you know, I mean, I, I'm a little bit of a skeptical person. However, I don't want to be a funny guy. You know, you don't want to be that funny guy that goes into the doctor's office and wants to be questioning his doctor. Because I don't, I don't think most doctors are too fond when you're peppering them with questions or uh, at least not uh, my doctors haven't been. <laughs> so you, you kind of want to just believe them because it's it's easier. It takes a burden off you if you just kind of go in there and you put your, all your uh, trust and faith. But then in this case, I mean, how many other drugs are prescribed? And I guess one that we all know of that's overprescribed is uh, the antibiotics, right? right? So we yeah. have learned that sometimes the doctor is not always right. The doctor is fallible, a doctor is human. No doctor knows everything. No one knows your body better than you do. And you should question everything. Everything you're told by a physician or any so-called expert, you should question and say, can you back that up with studies? So in closing, is there any other recommendation you would give to the average person to stay healthy? Pretty much what I've already said, you know, exercise regularly, eat real food, not processed food, avoid secondhand smoke and air pollution as much as you can, practice relaxation techniques, don't let yourself get overweight or obese, and try to be happy. You know something? That's the best way to close out try to be happy because at the end of the day, what else is there, right, doctor? That's correct. Miserable because you're on a drug that's poisoning you. You're not going to be happy. That's for sure. Well, thank you so much, doctor. Our guest today has been Dr. Barbara Roberts, and I would suggest you go out and read this fascinating book, well, The I Truth About Statins. Yeah. And the subtitle is Risks and Alternatives to Cholesterol-Lowering Drugs. Educate yourself and as the doctor says, not all doctors are right all the time. Thank you so much, doctor, for being on my show. Thank you for having me, Eli. Thanks so much for tuning in. We love our listeners, and we believe you have greatness within you. If you like The Motivation Show, we appreciate you subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Check out EliMarcusSuccess.com to hear more inspiring shows and to read our motivational blog. That's EliMarcusSuccess.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.